Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Corey, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. Welcome along to the Precursive Perspective, our podcast where we sit down with some of the leading minds across customer success and professional services. In each episode, I speak with people involved in scaling companies of all sizes, from hyper-growth startups to mid-market SaaS, all the way through to enterprise technology and communications companies, as well as, of course, members of the investment and VC community now. And we explore how the best companies succeed in this continually evolving services delivery ecosystem with uh, special guests also including my two dogs, Cosmo and Ace, uh, my kids, Frank and Artie. Frank now famous for pulling his tooth out live on one of the shows. Uh, Now, before we get into today's episode, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert, Precursive is the leading services delivery cloud for Salesforce. We combine award-winning task and resource management with easy-to-use professional services automation. Uh, Built on the Force.com platform, uh, we're 100% Salesforce Lightning native, which means you can better align your sales and delivery teams, automate project admin so that your staff get time back to focus on driving outcomes and value for your customers. We believe very deeply that there is a direct correlation between faster time to value and retention. So bridging that gap between sales and success is priority one for Precursive. So let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to latest episode of the Precursive Perspective with me, Jonathan Corey, currently in my, I don't know, fashion lumberjack hat here today uh, on a Thursday in kind of sunny London welcoming my new friend that I met on the internet from Bristol, Ash uh, Sohani. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. How's life? Life's good. Uh, I think we were just talking earlier. I've booked half day off today, going to see Mogilligan at, at Cardiff later on today, and I've taken tomorrow off. So, yeah, and and it's more than half sunny here in Bristol. So, so loving <laughs> day as well, I would say. So he's a comedian, right? Uh, he is, yeah. Okay. I saw him, I think, on BBC or Netflix, one or the others, and I, and I love him. I think he's done some really good shows. All right, I'm going to check him out. Mo Gilligan. Mo Gilligan, yeah. Gilligan. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, from comedy to, well, I don't know, PS sometimes feels like <laughs> you're in a comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> or a tragedy, depending on the day <laughs> of the week. But but uh, welcome. So you're currently a director of PS at Zebra Technologies. So give us a little bit about your your background. Yeah, so background, uh, um, I was actually born in India, so lived pretty much first half of my life in India. I came to the UK about, oh God, 17, 18 years ago now to pursue my master's. Did that and then been been working here in the UK, mainly in retail industry to start with. I did a couple of roles uh, operationally within Sainsbury's and Marks and & Spencer's, and then I moved to IT because that's what I studied uh, at my master's level. So I did an MBA in IT. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a technical role for JDA, I believe now they've been acquired by Blue Yonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then moved to Reflexes, which were the leaders in workforce management and task management. So really the retail store execution softwares. Started in a functional consultant role. Then it, it was a sort of a startup, but we still had a lot of people. It was on, on the growth trajectory. Mm-hmm. I was really involved in setting up the professional services as a function delivery as a function so we, we grew that hired a lot of people acquired a lot of uh, new accounts delivered the workforce management solution in 
in some of the biggest retailers in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, progressed to becoming the head of delivery for all of the uh, implementations within Reflexes, EMEA and APAC. Mm-hmm. And then made the transition into the big corporate world of Zebra Technologies. Um, and that was an organic transition. So Zebra acquired Reflexes about, oh God, I think it was three, almost four years ago now. Yeah, uh, and within Zebra, I was fortunate enough to grow further, and now I'm a director of global professional services. So uh, I'm looking after all of the regions from a SaaS uh, reflexes side. Uh, it's called Workforce now. Uh, yeah. Some rebranding happened earlier this year. So yeah, so th- that's the journey from a very medium-sized company uh, that got acquired by a big corporate, uh, and now playing a bigger role in in that big company. All right, awesome. Just don't mention the Cricket World Cup, right, recently? Oh, uh, let's not talk about it today. <laughs> Maybe. Hey. Oh, good, good game, though. Still good game. Great game. Silence yeah. was golden, though, wasn't it? It was, uh, mm. it was one, of those, one of those moments. But, um, I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the things that caught my eye about you, I mean, you do a lot of writing on PS, and, and yeah. you, you're, you're pretty passionate about, particularly in the implementation space, like, we'll get into this a little bit later on, like some of those first principles about how, you know, implementations are always tough and making them go more smoothly and how to move it from more of a technical mindset to much more of a customer orientated outcomes and value driven experience. And that really caught my eye because I think like the way that services is, is, does continue to evolve for many companies is they're still trying to make that transition from kind of a, more technically orientated ps is a necessary evil and maybe they're on that pathway to now services is a bit more of a differentiator and a value add for our clients and and i guess really just over the last thinking about the last five years kind of how have you seen ps evolve in in the world that you operate in yeah i think uh, as you said right from what i've seen over the past few years I would say the professional services have evolved significantly, not not just a little bit evolvement. Um, it, it's it's significant. In in my view, it has transitioned from primarily a technically implementation focused function to becoming more strategic services. So historically, what I, what I used to say is, hey, we have a scope, we want to go in, deliver the scope, and go out, and then sort of wait for the next implementation. But now we are in there for a lot longer, and I believe that shift is driven by the need for companies to differentiate themselves. I can't just simply go and say, hey, I only do implementations, right? It's a competitive market. And also customers want more now. They want more value from their service providers, not just from the software they have purchased. And PS teams, in my opinion, are no longer just implementers. They are now seen as advisors who provide strategic insights. They help customers achieve their business goals. Whether that is through technology services, whether that is through, I would say, implementation services or consulting services. Yeah. And and we, my team also had to adapt. Like you said, a few years ago, we were focusing on delivering a statement of work, enable the software, and then move on, right? So we had to adapt. And now in the last, I would say, oh God, uh, 13 months, we have introduced new services. And an example is the advanced analytics and reporting data insights. So we're not just creating reports anymore. We're actually extracting insights and presenting insights to the customer. So that's just one example we've done. We've introduced a few more services, which I can talk about later in the show. No, that'd be great. That'd be great. I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the the point that you highlight around, like there's this advisory component is really interesting. I think many struggle with the fact that they've got perhaps um, 
a bunch of people who are very technically aware and skilled, but potentially the business or customer acumen, right, of being able to sort of take a step back and think about the strategy for the customer or understanding that. Um, it requires, I think, some quite elegant organizational design in terms of the mixture of people that you need in a modern PS organization, because you can't just sort of take a bunch of people who are doing technical implementations and turn them into consultants. So I think we'll kind of come back and double click on that and what some of your experiences on there. Yeah, South American when I say double click. But there we go. Um, what were some of the tipping points for you guys then in, in your business? Like as you saw that, as you've observed that, because you've made this transition from more technical yeah. to strategic services, what were some of the, the tipping points, particularly like on customer wants? Uh, I would say several, right? So let me try and list down the ones I can think of. So increased competition. So, so more PS sort of organization companies entered the market and technical implementation alone isn't enough to stand out, right? Anybody can implement a software. But how do you maximize the value of that software for the customer? How do you ensure the services you're offering will help customer to, to then launch the software and make sure the adoption is high, right? So increased competition was one. Customer expectation has changed. So I would say that would be the second one. So customers now expect more value from the service providers beyond just the software installation, right? They don't want to work with multiple partners. In many cases, I've observed that firsthand. If they're delivering a program, they want to work with one partner. So, so a consolidation is considered as a bonus for a customer. And it saves costs like legal reviews, multiple statement of work reviews, multiple invoicing, multiple rounds of negotiation. So all, all those soft savings are also there. And customer expects that. The other one I would say in, in my line of work is the technology complexity. See, as a technology company, we are always looking ahead and learning new skills to ensure we continue to provide best service to our customers. However, our customers can be medium size, can be small size, can be large organization, and it can be very challenging for some customers to maintain that level of technical knowledge and keep it up to date. Right? Anybody can go and do a course and learn a new skill, but keeping it up to date is a very challenging ask. So with the rise of so many complex technology, our customers really needed guidance to navigate their options effectively. And that that was one of the reasons we, we had to do, we have to move to more strategic based role. Data-driven insights, I think I talked, uh, just, just referenced earlier, a lot of customers are saying, hey, I have the data, I have the reports. I don't want the reports anymore. What I want is somebody to look at those reports, decipher what the data, what the stories, and give me the insights so I can go and take the actions. So, so that was one of the reasons for us to diversify and go into that sort of offering. An interesting one, which I never really thought about it, but then when we were talking about this, this podcast, it came to my mind, the growth opportunities for the team. Yeah, right. This also allows us to provide uh, more opportunities for the teams to grow into. So more roles, more new types of jobs within the organization right yeah. at zebra where i work currently we never used to have an analytics and reporting function or or, or a department let's say in my team however now we have a well-defined well-established function and not only that function is serving customers it's also presenting an opportunity for i would say all of the team members now to learn a new skill and maybe do a sideways shift from being a i don't know functional consultant into 
into a, a, a reporting BI developer, right? Yep. So it also opens up a lot of growth opportunities. Yeah. Um, and lastly, just very briefly, is the need for software optimization, right? Typically, what I see is you have to implement a software within a budget. So you implement the software, you make sure all of the functionalities that are needed. Most often than not, it's the minimum viable product rather than what's of value, minimum valuable product. And then people exit the project. But now there is a need to showcase the hidden features to the customer, to showcase what more value they can extract from the from the software, right? Once the implementation is done, that strategic services tap into that that gap. Hey, you know what? You purchase the software, but during your implementation, you only scratch the surface and explode 10%. There is another 90% hidden value. Let us show you how you can extract. So I think that was another driver, I would say. Yeah, no, okay. I like all of that. I mean, I think there's a number of ones in there that are that are really interesting. I think, you know, that combination of, of customer change and expectations, I think, is kind of the primary driver. Yep. For me, which is why the, the sands can shift beneath your feet as a services leader, because the pace of that change um, can be pretty significant. I do, I do think it's just overall, it's a much more exciting place to work, as you highlighted, because um, career progression in PS was kind of very one dimensional previously, right? Like if you were a technical yeah. consultant, you were a technical consultant and you could be a senior one or maybe a junior one, and then maybe you become a PM or maybe you become a team lead. But I mean, when I think about some of the roles in services design, PS operations, project management, PMO, as you say, consultancy services, like it, it and there's a lot more creativity in and around what people are, are building, right? So there's also some, a lot of commercial acumen that you can learn now because you're a business within a business, which yep. you don't really get in a lot of other functions like, actually in, in in companies so no i think it's a, a very exciting time overall um what so there's you know there's there's a, a lot of introspection for many about like what's the role of ps right um, like what's the role of ps in our go-to-market for our company or in the market in general and so what role does ps drive in your business and in particular in influencing product revenue uh, for you guys um, okay, in yeah, so good question. See, see in Zebra, we have a well-defined product management function. So, so growing up in a smaller company, th that function wasn't there. Things still happen, but in, in not so smooth way, right? So yep. in, in current organizations so in Zebra, PS plays a very critical role in, in driving uh, product growth revenue. So our PS team collaborates very, very closely with the product development team. So we have the product owners, for different products they all roll up to a couple of leaders within the product management team yeah. and we work very closely with that team to help them understand our customer needs their pain points and many times market trends too right so the product team can generally focus on market trends themselves but the pain points and the needs come from us because we are on the ground talking to the customers right so my team not only implement solutions now but they also identify opportunities for upselling and cross-selling and improving the product. I think that's been one of the, I guess, missed opportunity for the many years, right? Because improving the product, it's in everybody's benefit. It's in PS benefit because your implementation is a lot smoother. It's in customer's benefit because the, the way you implement is optimized, which means you are not paying higher price for a complex implementation. Yeah. Um, 
and and all of that is being fed by my team into the product management and team really acts as a bridge i would say between the customers and our product teams not not only that we also help us create offerings that align with the market demand so yep. our product team will come up with a new packaged offer could be an integration offer could be a report package so our team has a say in that also we we feed that information yeah okay um, and from my personal perspective i think it makes sense too because ps teams are the closest to the solution design because they have designed the solution with the customer yep they are closest to the solution capabilities because they have done so many implementations and explored so many features of the product so they know yep. how the product works and most importantly have experience of working directly and closely with so many customers which which we are very fortunate to be in that position because product managers yes they know about the market but they don't have that first hand information coming from the ground and that's where we play as a as a bridge between yeah. the customers and the product yeah interesting i think one missed opportunity for many organizations is that is that feedback loop between the solution design kind of walk through what's being built which is where you've got maybe 90% hopefully standard in your solution yeah. it's that little 10% of magic that ps puts in right where it's better layouts, better configurations, some automation. Um, we've really just started trying to tease that out more from our PS team internally. So like, for example, just very simple example, just sharing the video walkthroughs, which will be like, usually we'll record something for the client that's like 10, 15 minutes, sharing that with a whole business, particularly so the sales team can see kind of like things that we've done, right, that are available, but may not be completely standard. Mm. Uh, I think that's a missed opportunity because it, it's so it's kind of like sometimes everyone's like, oh, what's the case study we can speak to? Right. Where it's like, oh, you know, we worked with so and so and improved, you know, in our world time to value from X to Y. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever, you know, to pinch of salt, you're the vendor. But actually, I think there's a lot sometimes for us a lot more value in this is the solution that we built. Right. So it's not necessarily the value. It's like more of descriptive of like that for example they're a point of sale solution provider they've got a team that's like a working at very high velocity out there week to week visiting customers and so they've got this time of day scheduling and there's got to be an integration with the calendar and stuff like this and and they've got partners in the mix so they've got a partner calendar and it's like and that's what we built right now that's the thing that i saw recently for one of our customers where they're trying to work with internal team and grow their partner network and I was like, that's super cool. I knew that we were doing stuff there, but I hadn't seen it. And like seeing it was so visceral, right? Uh, that we could then go and talk to others about not necessarily the value, but more just like, this is something that we built. And everyone's like, that's cool. We need something like that. Um, so no, I, I think that that intersection between product, sales and PS is super important. Um, I, I, I touched on a, uh, you know, partners there and there is the romance and the reality of the partner ecosystem. Um, I, I know that you have been increasingly growing the partner network in and around your business. So kind of what moving on to, so this topic of building and maintaining partner ecosystems, tell us a little bit about the, the role that partners play in your current go-to-market. Yeah, I think, uh, before we go into this this yeah. one, I think you're right. We've been trying to grow the partner network, but that's mainly from the SaaS perspective, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if I look at Zebra as a as an organization as a whole, yeah, uh, partners play a huge role within Zebra, right? So I think yeah. majority of our revenue comes through partners. So they're integral 
from our go-to-market strategies perspective for many reasons. They extend our reach. Uh, they help us access new markets. They also enhance our product offering. So if you look at the Zebra's hardware side of the business, our partners can develop their own software and, and bundle it together and sell it to uh, new customers, new markets. And no, not only that, they also bring, of course, domain expertise, industry relationships, and local knowledge, because we don't have offices in every single part of the world, right? So that's where our partners are key and integral. I, I, I believe, I'll have to check that number, I, I should have checked before, but I think we have over 10,000 partners in 45 countries. Right. And this really effectively enables us to be present wherever our customers wants us to be, mm-hmm. right? So... Now, if I move to the SaaS side of the world, so because yep. of these acquisitions where, where I was part of the Plexis and now it, it's workforce, um, work cloud, sorry, within Zebra, we did not have those many partners. We worked with select couple because we were a growing company and we needed yep. few partners just to accelerate our implementations and so on. So, so in the SaaS side of the business, we're still growing our implementation partners and we ran a pilot program uh, this year. I was going to say last year, but it sort of started in December, but ran for this year. Uh, with select partners in in North America and, and in EMEA, and yep. we're excited. Uh, we've we've received really good feedback, and we are planning to roll that program out next year. I don't have the exact number, but th- the idea is we'll add few more partners to the not not pilot anymore to to the program next year. See how that goes. Take some learnings from them because SaaS side is still still new on the partner program. Refine our partner program, and then add maybe more. But at the moment, we are we are continually adding partners in in EMEA region, DAC region, North America region. And, and we would love to then expand to maybe Latin America for Spanish speaking uh, reasons, right? So, but yeah, very, very much a growing, growing area within the SaaS side uh, within Zebra. And those are delivery partners. So they're delivering your solution on behalf of... Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so these are purely, I'm talking about implementation partners. Again, Zebra has co-sellers they have resellers they yeah, have yeah. technology partners and they have strategic uh, partners also yeah I'm, I'm i'm interested more on the the delivery the delivery partner network so is it is it third-party companies who will own everything or is there also some staff augmentation where you leverage some of the people from partner companies as a part of your delivery team is it a mix yeah. uh, from a delivery we do both right and we do other way around also so sometimes our partners reach out to us for staff augmentation and then we, we give them stuff. It could be that partners have all of the skill sets within the business, but they don't have a analytics function. So they will say, hey, as part of this program, we have also sold uh, some analytics services. We would like you to give us some stuff. So the, the staff augmentation is on both sides. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. What have been some of the, the challenges that you've encountered or ref, uh, you know, and the reflections on it over the last year on on building this uh <laughs> good question i think um, initially definitely the start was more challenging than where we are right now so yeah so yeah see from my perspective building and maintaining a partner network comes with challenges right as, as ensuring alignment on business objectives we then want to manage that diverse partner relationships maintaining consistent quality of their delivery then also enabling them to do the job right so keeping partners knowledge of the products up to date yep and and one of the ones which is not openly talked about is addressing potential conflicts of interest right because uh, we are a ps function our partners are also going to be doing some services delivery and so on so yep. and, and lastly sorry additionally scaling partner programs 
whilst also maintaining and preserving the quality, it can be significant challenge and, and very costly too. Luckily, we were in pilot programs, so we had the right level of funding, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it can be costly. So I would say, in, in my opinion, one of the primary difficulties lies in determining most effective method of funding the partner program, right? The partner program itself is not setting a partner program, running a partner program is less of a challenge than understanding the method of funding it, right? So whether to implement an annual B-faced program or you want to charge per certification to the partners, you have to be very clear in that strategy. You can't like change your mind halfway. So decide upfront, do your maths, do your calculations, do do, do a value-based proposition for the partners. So the key challenge is not only finding the optimal funding approach, but also effectively communicating that value to the partners, right? So if I go to a partner and say, hey, it's going to cost you $50,000 a year, people shut off. Nobody wants to pay that, right? But if I go and show the value of what they are going to get that $50,000, is it, I don't know, 500 hours of support, right? Yep. Costing at this, is it at least 50 certifications, which looks like this? So then customers can, the partners can start seeing value. Okay, I'm, I'm paying $50,000, but I'm also getting these hours of support. I'm also getting technical assistance center. I'm also being presented as a as a delivery partner option to the next 10 deals the company is going to do. As long as we can communicate that message of value correctly and, and clearly, I think all the other challenges are more around execution. So now you have the funding, how do you execute? And I think those are, those are the smaller challenges. I think bigger challenges just to keep that, that funding coming so you can provide a better service to all of your partners no it's it's you know what it's it's i've not i've not heard people talk about the funding for it and the budget at the start and thinking Mm. about because i think what happens is companies grow you know ceo investors go well we should have a partner ecosystem that's how we should do it not grow ps internally too much it's costing us x now you know and and accenture and IBM will do all of our delivery for us and start building us deals, right? And then six months later, nothing's happened and Accenture doesn't actually want to take your call because, you know, implementing your solution is 50K and, and their average deal value is 10 million. So, yep. you know, there's there's this kind of that, like that's the romance and the reality. Now, I think so. So when you're saying funding, just for a little bit of additional clarity, is that the business gave you some funds to enable some training and enablement with partners, some partner marketing, some partner events, things of that ilk. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so in, in our case, right, because it was a pilot program. So, so uh, let, let me break it down. So we, we did a few things. So we set up for SAS, this is, we, we yeah. set up a full new partner program. So we had to document everything from a product perspective, package it into a nice training course and certification. So you go through the course, you get certified. We then had to set up a technical assistance center. So if partners are doing some implementations and they face challenges, where do they go to, right? Because they can't go to support because support is focused on post-implementation, whereas partner is still in implementation. So we had to set up technical assistance center. Then you need a sort of a liaison person if partners are having challenges with the pilot program itself and wants to feed back and close that loop. So again, sort of a manager or a supervisor kind of person. Yeah. and then also various other things, right? So all that comes at a cost. So first year, of course, the cost is covered because it's pilot program. But going forward, if the partner is only focusing on implementation, right? And they're not focusing on co-selling or reselling. Yeah. Then 
what, who is going to fund that program? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because and that that's that's a huge question, right? So who's who's going to fund it? Of course, the training programs that are being being um, created, we will also consume it as professional services. Yeah. But but yeah. because we are opening it up to all of the partners, we have to do it in even a better way. So maybe have a tool, a nice tool where we can certify. Maybe they can use those certifications and yeah. and highlight those as an official certifications on LinkedIn, right? So all that that are added value functions where that funding discussion becomes really important. So, so I think that's why we, we have to make sure that discussions are being done in an open and honest fashion. And it's yeah. not about, hey, we want this money, right? So if, if I'm simply asking for X dollars without clarifying, yeah, yeah. highlighting value to the partner, no, nobody's going to give that money. I think it's the the partners do get a lot of value. Or, or the other option could be, hey, you know what, we, we don't want to charge X dollars for a partner program but then maybe we cannot afford to give 500 hours free per implementation maybe that becomes 10 hours free for guidance right yeah um, yeah so so that's why we thought okay it's better to offer some hours free for guidance because the product is evolving partners also have to invest a lot of time to keeping their knowledge up to date but at the same time we know the reality is big software and enter- enterprise softwares you do need some guidance every now and then so that's yep. why it's the right thing to do to have so hours so yeah so so those were the reasons we we had to think about the funding also no no i i like it and so and so now where does that partner enablement um sit and how does that work so within ps do you have a ps partner enablement speciality within the team is it segmented is it a separate team within a team how does that kind of enablement happen and and what role do you think PS should be playing more, more broadly in, in enablement with partners? Yeah. So from from a from a onboarding perspective, I would say that's not we in Zebra World, that's not really necessarily a PS function. So we we have a very, very good team within within our company, Brian and Orlando. They they do an amazing job. But I think from a enablement perspective and making sure the customer is is getting the value and there's being set up for success ps definitely pay, plays a role right so we act as a let's say a facilitator between partners customers and the company mm-hmm. right we, we help design partner programs so e- even though we don't let's say own the partner program but we de- we help design it we define roles and responsibilities we decide define what good looks like mm-hmm. we we help and support in establishing kpis Right, we we create some economical model, economic models that then incentivize partner success. We can provide training support. We can provide resources. I mentioned technical assistance center, so we can provide resources to uh, cover that technical assistance centers. Yep. Um, what else? Um, we we do shadowing, so we we can go and shadow a partner who's delivering their first implementation within Zebra. So we can yeah. almost do, yeah, you did a good job. Maybe these are the areas you can change your approach here. Uh, we can also let them shadow our implementation. So where they can come and shadow the implementation before they go and deliver the first implementation on their own. So so a lot. So we are sort of involved in a lot of functions within the partner program itself, but the onboarding side sits with with a team uh, which is separated uh, from ps within the organization it sits within sales function yeah no no get that get that okay that's interesting um, i mean ju- just then just finally though so is it 
is the enablement of partners part of people's roles within PS? Like it's, or do you have a dedicated team to it? Uh, at the moment, because SaaS side, I'm I'm, I'm purely talking SaaS and not not Zebra. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, so, yeah, that's clear. Uh, because we are still growing, we don't we have not established that big team at the moment. We have we have couple of people like the manager supervisor role I was talking about. We once the customer partner is onboarded, sorry, not the customer. Once the partner is onboarded, um, the sales team do an introduction with these two people, and and they sort of look after the onboarding and the enablement part. Whether that is walk them through the certification program, how to do this, how to do that, or all that is at early stages, two people eventually it will become a team. Yeah. Okay. No. Cool. Yeah. I mean, look, I think I think that there's, you know, if you think about everything that you've just gone through, the funding mechanism, the enablement, the technical assistance center, the the documentation, right? It is not as simple as oh, we just you know get a few partners in and it'll all happen because it really forces the issue around how good is our documentation and our assets internally right number one so it's actually yeah. a really healthy exercise for that i find where you're like our sows our documentation our product enablement all of these types of things but i think it's yeah. that realization for companies that there is there is an ongoing need here that we will need to support an external team so it gives you scale but at a cost right and that cost is monetary and time right yeah. and i think that there's you you know you can't just set it up and like not nurture it it's it's a it's an extension of your capability as a company and it requires a lot of effort over over time yeah. um but uh, I, I was going to say on, on on that point i think you make a good point so see from a documentation perspective we had really good documentation right so Creating documentation wasn't the challenge because if you are aiming to be a world-class PS and aiming to be a world-class service provider to the partners, you have to take it to that next level. So what we had to invest in, a little bit documentation creation, but also every single document now should be of same standard, same quality and consistent, right? So you had to invest in that central team to create it. I couldn't simply pick up one document that Maybe Ash created one, somebody else created and say, hey, partner, here you go. These are the two documents. The look and feel, the consistency had to be same. So we had to feed all the documentation to a central team. They then became the gatekeeper of those documentations before it went into the partner domain or public domain. So yeah. I think that's where a lot of the investment also went. Yeah, no, no. Great. Great. Cool. Now, um, you, you obviously, you've highlighted how you've got a mix of that startup, scale up and then now working in a larger uh, public company um, yeah is it, is it public it's a public listed company a yes. public listed company so given that mix of experience like you'll have seen the growth at all costs ps is an arr enabler world right and then you will have seen a slightly more how would i put it maybe mature attitude which is yeah. well-run business within a business world um and and i guess what like oh i love how zoom does this now I, I hope that's on the video for some reason when i put my thumb up i can get a thumbs up i don't know why no one else can I, I get balloons uh, oh you get balloons i have no idea how it happens but on three occasions i've had balloons and i was like oh my god well, that's happened? the next that's the next my next goal finding some <laughs> balloons in zoom um anyone listening will be like what uh the fuck is <laughs> there we go uh so what have been like as you reflect on it, what have been some of the differences between those two worlds, bar the obvious, but like what kind of some of the learnings? 
Oh, tough question. <laughs> I, um, oh, um, you don't have to say which one you prefer. That's right. No, no, no. I think uh, no, I, th- I think it's it's been a very different experience, right? Working in a a private versus a public company. So let let me start there. Different. Both both positive, but with different set of challenges and but but on a positive, both fulfilling experiences. I think that's more important to me because I I'm a kind of person if it's not fulfilling, I lose interest. Right. And and it's not been that case. So so both positive with set of challenges and fulfilling experiences. So in a in a private company, there is often more flexibility and agility, right? In decision making, when when I say flexibility in decision making, but there may be resource constraints. Whereas in a larger organization, my experience has been there are more resources available, more funding available, but decision making can be more complex due to the hierarchy and yep. more established processes that are in place. Right. So the approach to, let's say, maybe the annual recurring revenue enablement may differ. And again, speaking from my experience in in the private company, the primary focus was always on growth and meeting the customer's requirements to secure those contracts. And and sometimes what that meant is executing product innovation in in not not a scalable way. Let let me put it that way. Um, And what I mean by that is, not all the time the right product innovation went into the product and in a single code base, right? Because we wanted to win contracts. We said, okay, let's find another, let's branch the code out and then do something for this customer, win the contract. So so positive from gaining new contracts, increasing revenue, but not, not so positive in the long-term scalability perspective. Whereas in a large organization, the primary focus is rightly, you know, has rightly shifted to higher stability and executing, I would say, the product innovation in a more mature and structured way. So we can achieve achieve greater scalability. So, so a massive exercise has been going on within Zebra over the last many months where all of those different code bases are now being merged into one. And that is the right thing to do. Uh, and it will help us scale the solution and make it more stable and easier to implement in the future and easier to support our customers also so so different experiences all positive experiences all fulfilling experiences but the end goal is different so the journey is now a little bit different in in public versus the private company and what would you be coaching your former self right around operational rigor right in the in in maybe getting to that a little bit sooner for example i, I don't know uh, yeah so hindsight is is great um I would say focus on operational rigor from the very, very start, right? When I mean very start, literally from the first project or first implementation due. So yep. ensure that processes are well-defined, scalable, repeatable, uh, and of course, aligned with the company goals, right? Invest in technology and tools that can streamline operations. It doesn't have to be super expensive technology. It doesn't have to be fancy tools. Simple tools will do the job, right? Yeah. But regularly monitor and and measure your KPIs and, yeah. and always drive efficiency and effectiveness. I, I, I personally, I'm a big believer of continuous improvement, uh, always have been. And I think I'm not necessarily worried about the big savings, right? Big improvements, little, little will do. So from the start, so incorporate all the learnings from every implementation and feed it back to, to the right team to continually improve your toolkits. And a, a simple example is, um, when I mean what I mean by continuous improvement. So we used to do 
solution documents for yeah. before we implemented anything and each solution document had a customer logo on each page so 70 page document 70 logos and and on one occasion we missed to replace one of the logos right so a wrong logo went to a wrong customer disaster and that made us think in the in the lessons learned section why do we need logos <laughs> why do we need logos in those documents save ourselves time in adding logos save ourselves time in updating logos yeah. And save our times apologizing that the wrong logo went to a wrong customer. For the name of the customer. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. that logo is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that was a mistake I made. So I was furious with my mistake. But but also it made me think, hey, what? how can I improve? And that has been the case. So so when I say toolkits, in, in the, currently, actually, the, some of the toolkits we use, they're not fancy tools. They're Excels modified to how it works best for us, how it works in an optimized way for us. So I would say do that from the very start. So have that operational rigor because typically when you move in early stages, when you move from one project to the other, you finish one project and you jump straight to the other or, or many times you're doing multiple together. But take that time after each project, do the lessons learned and don't just take the lessons learned, actually do something with it. And in this case, in my example, remove those logos and have a standard toolkit. So, so I would say yeah, operational rigor from the very start will help. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that because I think that the, the it, at least if you can get even if you can get a little bit of data, like sometimes maybe the processes and the systems at the early stages aren't as good as you want it to be, but even if you can get a little bit of data and and try and capture data over time, like so for example, my guidance would be like if you're doing let's say delivery and you don't have a system that tells you the delivery times go into the diaries and look at kickoff and look at launch day capture it manually just so you have like a baseline of like this is where we were and this is where we're getting to um margins another one i was i was talking with a with a client and about it and i was like how has your margin improved since putting in our particular one of our applications hmm. and they were like well I don't know, actually. And I'm like, you know your margin, right? He's like, yeah, but I've not actually been looking at it over time because we're kind of looking at it at a point in, in time, like, and it's where yeah. we want to be. And I'm like, okay, run a report and go back 18 months and let's look at the trend line. And he's like, yeah, it's going up. And I'm like, right. Like that's, sometimes we don't, we kind of look quite one-dimensionally at the data. And I think it's about looking at the trend as you, as yeah. you, as you, as you outline, because you kind of, you begin to realize like, oh, we can influence this. Like, like we were, we were forecasting a loss for PS this year in, in my business. And we made some changes about how we deliver, how we price, uh, team structure, overall cost. And and now we're not. Now we're gonna make seven, eight percent margin, right, over the year. And and it's and it's partly by wanting to do that. <laughs> not at this at not at the not at the expense of of the value for clients but just more yeah. like like we want to be a well-run business we want services to be a well-run business within a business and there's no reason sometimes i think why you can't I, I, and and part of that was a big part of that was packaging and i know that's something that you're very passionate about and do a lot of so what's yep. the, what's been the role of effective packaging for services for you guys in driving better margin for example has it played yeah, yeah, I, th I think before I go there, I think I, I really appreciate you sharing the coming from a negative to positive margin, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot, a lot of PS functions are out there have not made money for, for some time now. Mm -hmm. And it could be 
intentional could be unintentional and i think if it's intentional and you see ps as an enabling function that's absolutely fine yeah but even then you should still know how much negative gross margin are you operating at you can't even if you're enabling you can't just do it blindly right you still have to be aware of it so yeah, so yeah. So th- thanks for sharing that i appreciate it so packaging yes I-, I love packaging of services for for various reasons right so it can significantly impact margins you, you but by optimizing resources allocation uh, reducing your downtime reducing waste and also helps in aligning uh, also helps in meeting customer needs so you can package an offer and align it align that offer to what our, most of our customers are asking right so bundling services creating tiered offering uh, has to be value based so I, I think that that's obvious so using value based pricing they can all contribute to improve margins and that i've seen firsthand in the last 10 11 months now right yeah. not only that it helps us enhance our customer csat also customer satisfaction so we, uh, an example we recently launched uh, launched a new packaged offering for uh, we refer it to as pulse integrations and aar aar for us is uh, report building right advanced analytics yeah. and reporting yeah so we launched two offers one for creation and one for maintenance so right. we, we are going to create a report for you but once it's created we are also going to maintain it for you Right. and this was based on all the principles i just highlighted so reducing the waste reducing increasing the op- uh, increasing the uh, utilization for teams perspective and also aligning it to customer needs because a lot of our customers were asking for this so it addressed all of those points and enhanced customer satisfaction but most importantly what it did for us was we had those resources we had the cognos developers aar developers in our team but they were just waiting there for some new request to come in yeah now we have we have created this offer where we are maintaining so even if there is no creation happening they still utilized in maintaining the customer reports so overall a win win for everybody right so we've increased our utilization we've retained our margins and customers are getting a good service because they don't have to worry about the custom reports yeah. we are developing it we are maintaining it and and it's a very well priced offer also so so yeah. so i think packaging i'm a big fan everybody should do some sort of packaging but hear it from what customers need don't just create packages and just push it out there for as a as a package queue to sell because if customers are not looking to buy that they are not going to just buy just because you package something so maybe choose one or two items to start with and then start packaging those love it yeah i i i love that i mean great show i really appreciate you coming on i think that last bit around like thinking outside in from the outcomes that customers want to drive so if you're thinking about reporting package the customer's outcome is decision making right it's decision making or it's risk mitigation or it's investment decisions that they're going to yeah. make based upon your data so that's 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 that kind of like outside in one uh someone in the services delivery alliance which is the network that you participate in um as well so for listeners there's a a network for ps leaders called the services delivery alliance the sda and ps leaders come together to discuss shared challenges and, and issues which is where ash and i met um yeah and one of the one of the folks there was talking about like a testing as a service offering and again part of what we were sort of talking about in the community was like the language around the actual outcome that the customer wants to provide which is compliance really for them so I think I think those out working back from outcomes is really important. I think uh, to to tease out another sort of set of insights from you for today. I think the you know when you're when you're approaching that partner ecosystem 
uh, piece is think about that funding mechanism and the ongoing funding mechanism. I think that's a super, super insight. Um, I think being very aware of what your competition is offering from a services standpoint, not just from a product standpoint, is, is again, very important. Are they giving away services? Are they providing packages? Are they selling it as a subscription? You know, are they making it convenient for their for their customers and you're not? Uh, I, I think that's good. And and then I think, you know, that transition in services from from kind of like from maybe from data to insight, right? From reports to insight is is you know, is again is a grand a great insight. So hopefully you enjoyed it, sir. Yeah, it, it was my first podcast. So hey. um, really enjoyed it. Really good experience. Um good, good, good content. I, I would I would say so. I think you you chose the right topic for me. So th- thank you for that. At least I wanted to add some value and I hope your listeners will find some value in what I've just shared. Oh, no, definitely. I thought it was great. It was great. Thanks for coming on, Ash. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah, and enjoy the comedian tonight. Oh, thank you. I will. I will. Thank Take you care, so man. much. Bye. Bye.